Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, February 2nd, 2012. Okay, this... Oh, man. It just doesn't get... I... <laughs> I sound speechless, and I should... I am! Trust me. Fuzzy bunny slippers, adult beverages, and all that kind of stuff. You're going to need it for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of weird, crazy things being said out there. As a result of it, well, we've got to do the discernment work. Okay, so, okay, looking at what we're going to do today, just real quick, okay, if you haven't seen the video, you need to see the video. I'm going to be playing audio from it um, of uh, Bishop Eddie Long's church crowning him as king. And I know you're you're saying, did I hear you correctly? Yes, you heard me correctly. And funny enough, this actually has implications regarding the Elephant Room tribe. Um, what's Todd Friel's evangelifants? I'm just telling you, just tell. This has implications regarding the evangelifants. So I, I, I fully give props to Todd Friel for coming up with that uh, that phrase. Um, we're going to be studying pachydermism today. That's Aaron Benziger's term. Um, but uh, this, what you're, uh, well, hang on a second. I, I think I just need to warn you. Probably that's the best thing we need to do warning. first. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Yeah, that that sound effect is to let you all know that uh, there's a new king in Christianity. I, I did not know that 
um, that Christianity had a king other than, well, Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, it makes me wonder. I, I should probably play this as well to make sure that we're properly, you know, recognizing the king here. Yeah, that's right. That trumpet fan. You see, here's the deal. I don't even know what the right protocol is to deal with the new king in Christianity. But uh, let me let me just play this. Do this, okay? If you go to uh, YouTube.com and you type in "New Birth Crowns Eddie Long as King," you will find this video. It's about 14 minutes long, and believe me when I tell you, at the end of this, you're going to be as confused as ever. But I. I will be playing audio from the coronation of Eddie Long as king. Now, if you remember, Eddie Long was the guy, there was guys who made allegations that, that he had made homosexual advances on them. Um, and there's talk of you know, out-of-court settlements. His wife filed for divorce late last year, and and he took a short, short leave of absence, and he's now resumed his work as pastor over there at New Birth in uh, in Georgia, but this past Sunday they held a ceremony. Um, well, um, apparently bringing in a guy from Israel uh, to perform a ceremony that that well was an inauguration ceremony where Eddie Long was crowned as king. Not making this up. Uh, yeah, here's the audio. You may have a seat. I want to demonstrate something to you. Praise God. How many feel an anointing in the room? Amen. Uh, I don't feel no anointing. What are you talking about? This is God's government. By the way, this is Rabbi Messer talking here. Uh, he claims to be a rabbi. This is a scroll that's 312 years old. Yeah. Found in Auschwitz and Birkendahl. It's a Holocaust scroll. Because the Jews, we love the government of God. We took it with us under our clothes to Auschwitz and Birkendahl. And what God did, ladies and gentlemen, is this. They threw them outside the tracks of Auschwitz and Birkendahl. That's where these are. I collect scrolls. These are priceless. A brand new scroll starts at $60,000. These, you can't get insurance for. Because there's no more. In other words, this scroll was resurrected from the dead. It was brought back to life. Many of you have still have the dust of Auschwitz and Birkendahl on them. And so now I'm going to uncover this. 311 years old, 12 years old, I should say, excuse me. And I'm going to pull off the foreskin of this. We're going to raise it up. And this is called... Uh, the, the, okay. <laughs> okay. Called the belt of righteousness. And when Jesus walked into the temple, he wasn't walking into a religious earthly court system. He was walking into a government. He was walking as a judge. He, mm -hmm. he walked up to the bima. He untied the seed of righteousness. So now he's uh, removing a belt from the scroll that he's been talking about. He took the belt of righteousness. He laid it on the bima. He opened up the scroll. There are 39 lamb skins. By 39 stripes, you're healed. Stop. Every, every column is called leaves. 
And according to the book of Revelation, the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Uh-huh. We as Jews, we come... Notice the music in the background, you know, reminiscent of the Holy Land. We don't even touch it with our hand, we touch it with a finger, the authority of God, only given to one of great authority. 90% of Jews in the world have never even seen, came close, nor touched a scroll, because these are kept in arcs behind eternal lights, tell me. This is called the seams. Every one of us was a lamb that had to die, like Jesus did. It takes three and a half years to write a scroll by a sofar. Jesus started his ministry at age 30. He died at age 33 and a half. It takes three and a half years to write one. Uh-huh. Okay. So apparently the scrolls are messianic. Jesus called himself the Devar Elohim, the Word of God incarnate. He called himself the internal government of God. And these are only given to cities they need to be released into a new anointing. <laughs> really? Okay, so the, these these things, these scrolls, are only given to cities that need to... Something regarding having a release of a new anointing. Okay, so... Yeah, you got any biblical passages for that? I mean, do you think you can just, you know, maybe unroll that scroll a little bit and maybe we can peruse that thing to see if anything of, you know, about what you're saying can be found in that scroll, you know? I have dual citizenship in Israel on behalf of the Jewish people, the land of Israel, and the God of Israel. I want to make a presentation, praise God. Uh, on behalf of the God of Israel. Wow, that's apparently he's well-connected. Amen. Bishop, you will come. Now, here comes Bishop Eddie Long. Um, and uh, he's going. He's been sitting in a chair off to the side um, as the Rabbi Messer makes this presentation. This is all part of a ceremony, uh, uh, well, a kingly coronation, if you would. Um, I'm not making that up. But Bishop, you will come. Praise God. Praise God. He is a king. God's blessed him. He's uh, really, Eddie Long's a king. <laughs> I, I know him as a perpetrator, but a king? He's a humble man, but in him is kingship, in him is royalty. In, in Eddie Long is kingship and royalty. Really? In him was the land of Israel. In him was a K chromosome of that of Coleman Koanim. He was brought through the slaves, raised up in a city, and God now wants to release a new anointing. Uh-huh. Yeah, so God wants to release a new anointing. We'll come back to that in a minute, <clears throat> but uh, just keep that word, anointing, tucked away. Just remember, I said anointing. Yeah, I'll come back to that. But We're in a different season, ladies and gentlemen. You'll come, Bishop. Thank you so much, sir. Bishop, you'll turn and face this. He now looks as one who was once a slave, and his ancestors were once slaves. He's the first man in 3,500 years of his bloodline to return back to the original, seeing the original scroll, seeing the original letters. So Bishop Eddie Long is now with his back towards the uh, the folks there at uh, New Birth in Georgia, and uh, he's facing this open scroll. Apparently he's the first in 3,000-something years to face this. I don't even know what he's talking about. 
are 22 letters on a Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 pairs of chromosomes in your body. The tw- uh, hey, 22 uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Hmm, I studied biblical languages, and I thought that there was 23. Hang on a second here. Let's just do a little counting. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, Wah, Zion, Het, Tet, Yod, Kaf, Lamed, Men, Nun, Samak, Ayin, Peh, Sada, Kaf, Resh, Sin, Shin, Tau. Let me count that. You know, say, I, <clears throat> hang on. I, I Looking in my Hebrew grammar here from uh, college. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Well, that's embarrassing. You know, you'd think a guy with dual citizenship in Israel, Rabbi Messer, would know there was 23, but now I'm quibbling at this point. 23rd was added by man. There are 22 amino acids. On Psalms 22, it was written at Calvary. Jewish doctors say when you look in a microscope, your cells of your body look exactly like script Hebrew letters. Mm-hmm. Really? There are crowns because this is God's government. Matthew 5, 17 through 19, Yeshua said, Do not think that I come to do away with my government, my Torah, but to bring it to a greater understanding. For those who teach the Torah, as he will be released to, would consider great in great in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, my country on the earth. For those who speak against him, will be considered least in the kingdom of God, at least in the kingdom of earth. Okay, so uh, Rabbi Messer is basically saying if you speak against Eddie Long, who's having this new anointing that he's being released to do, um, then you will be considered least in the kingdom of God. You know, what's really funny is is that uh, Rabbi Messer's delivery, for lack of a better way of putting it, reminds me of a movie um, uh, that I saw when I was a kid. Y- do y'all remember Pete's Dragon? Yeah, there, there's a there's a couple of characters who breeze into town, uh, kind of snake oil salesman type. See if this sounds familiar to you, and see if the connection, you know, if you're seeing any of the connections here, because this guy's a fast talker and he's throwing out all kinds of bizarre things. Um, but none of it makes a biblical wit of sense. But uh, here's here's some audio from a. Song from Pete's Dragon, sung by the, um, well, the uh, the snake oil salesman character. I forget his name, but you, you'll see what I mean. How wonderful to see your smiling faces again, all of you. I have never known such warmth, such welcome, such loving hospitality. Get out, you quack! I don't bring those phony remedies here again. Go on back where you belong. I sense loving response, and that's why I feel that this is my home, away from home. I've been bringing cures from Pilgrim Heights to Provincetown, treated rabbit fever down on Queen Anne Road. Gout of gastritis, mumps or bronchitis, bites and burns and blue abrasions, got a pill for all occasions, little sip of wizard was so nice to visit, and straggy neck is lovely to recall. Through all my trips, good Lord, there's one place, one corner, one town on my lips.
guy's a fast talker <laughs> so is rabbi messer in fact his presentation style is very similar to this uh, <clears throat> snake oil salesman from the um, movie pete's dragon but we continue is it only if you turn bishop towards me and we're going to now surround him this is only this is done in the kings of israel they surround him raise it in the air so now they're taking the scroll. It's opened. You know, they've pulled it apart a little bit here. It's open, and and they're now going to envelop Eddie Long inside of the scroll. Now wrap wrap him in the scroll real, real slow, real slow, real slow. He's wrapped in the Word of God. He's sealed by the blood of Messiah. He is sealed to come out with a new anointing. So he's apparently sealed to come out with a new anointing. Okay. The kingship within him, the power within him, is going to come out. It doesn't matter where you go. Now, how do you try to attack him? You can't attack him. He's sealed. Wherever yeah, you can't attack Eddie Long. He's sealed. Three words. Wherever he turns, the power of God is there. As we open this up, Every ambassador, every king, this is done to every king. We open up and he's hidden in the word of God. He is hidden in the word of God. And now, Eddie Long, I mean, he's sitting there, he's wiping tears off his eyes. Apparently, I mean, this, this coronation ceremony is a big deal to him. Amen. These are called trees, H. Kaim. He sits between two courtrooms, justice and blessing. So King Eddie Long now sits between two courtrooms of justice and blessing. Fresh anointing to do, and you can't speak against him or you'll be leased in the kingdom of heaven. I speak life over you. I speak life. As a Jew, I speak life over you. In the name of Yeshua. Roll it up. I want to show you something. Roll it up. Put the cover on it. Praise God. This will either arouse the realm of death in you, 
or it'll rouse the realm of life. Yes, if you're doubting, then if you, if you doubt that Eddie Long is now king, well, that's arousing death in you, I'm sure. You have a choice. Now, Bishop, you'll have a seat. He's now going to take a seat on his throne. Praise God. He's now positioned in a seat of a position of power and authority. He has given within him a belt. On one side is justice, and the other is blessing. Uh huh. Right. He now is given the constitution of God as a king. Okay, so he's now receiving the constitution of God, which is the scroll, you know, because he's a king. I give this to you, Bishop, as a sign of covenant, as a sign of release, as my sign of love for you. Amen. My brothers will come forth. Four sons representing the four corners of the earth. So four sons representing the four corners of the earth are now approaching the throne of King Eddie Long. They'll raise him up right now. He now is raised up from a commoner to a kingship. Come on, raise it up. And now <laughs> King Eddie Long is being held up, lifted on high, so that everybody could now see the king as he sits on his throne with this, you know, the constitution of the government of God in in his hand. And they'll walk him around. They're all going crazy. Why? I don't know, because they've been schnookered. Come on! Come on, praise God! Turn, turn to face here. Turn to face me. Hold it in the air. He's no longer a commoner. He's not on the earth. He's raised from earth into a heavenly realm. He's raised in a prophetic position. He's released by God. He's breaking pagan traditions, breaking areas of God. He's releasing Atlanta, Georgia. It's not him. Oh, it's so kind of the king to be releasing Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, you know, I've been waiting for that for years. It's the king in him. Say this with me. Nicole, come here, Nicole. Walk with me. We're going to sing the ironic blessing. Found in the book of Numbers. Let's sing it together, Nicole. You know, you would think that Eddie Long would have picked a better hairpiece for his coronation. You know, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, you grab a couple of people who can sing in Hebrew, and you can you know, grab a scroll and coronate anybody and make him king, you know. I mean, how, how, did, how did this decision be made? I mean... Was there, you know, a committee in heaven looking for a new king? I mean, I thought Jesus was the king, but Eddie Long is. You know, but by the way, this does kind of raise some rather thorny um, issues. And uh, what I mean by that is um, I am not sure how the new hierarchy works uh, in the church. And so, you know, we, we got some kingly questions that we've got to ask here. But I, again, I fanfare for the king.
so with that uh, appropriate fanfare for the newly crowned king of Christianity, um, apparently, I mean, you know, you're, you're a bishop for a certain amount of time, and then you could you you have the potential to be promoted to king. Um, so then, okay, so here's the deal, okay? As I look across visible Christianity, I mean, there are some pretty high you know, positions of authority within the church. You got bishops, um, you've got archbishops, you got the pope, and now we've got a king. And then, of course, you know, um, keep in mind, during the Code Orange revival, we learned from Perry Noble that um, Stephen Furtick was the one whom the prophets longed to see. So, you know, messianic uh, passage being applied to Stephen Furtick. So the question I have simply is this. Um, in in the uh, pecking order of you know super apostles, um, who trumps whom? Who has to take orders from whom? So I mean, for instance, if uh, if Stephen Furtick, Pope Benedict, Eddie Long, and T.D. Jakes were all in the same room, who sits at the head of the table? I mean, this is a fair question. Um, since we now have a king. And so, I, I mean, I, I don't understand how this works. And then, of course, we got the thorny questions per t- that really have to do with the separation of church and state. And when it comes to um, Eddie Long's kingly authority, uh, you know, what, where are the borders of that kingly authority? Does it, is, is everybody in the visible church have to recognize him as king? And if you don't recognize him as king, are you sinning? Okay, but then again, you know, again, I ask the question, who's going to sit at the head of the table? You put Eddie Long, Stephen Furtick, Pope Benedict, uh, all together, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe an archbishop to boot. Um, who, who is sitting at the head of the table? Who's setting the agenda? To whom do the others take direction? Is it Stephen Furtick because he's the one whom the prophets long to see? Is it Eddie Long because he's the king? Or does Pope... Trump king and maybe does is it matter only if he's in Georgia so you know I mean these are again this is creating some very 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 thorny and vexing theological questions but um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a break and we're going to look then how Eddie Long's coronation affects the questions regarding the elephant room and you're thinking how on earth does this have anything to do with James McDonald's Elephant Room Conference. The answer is it actually has a lot to do to, with it. I mean, we're talking huge implications regarding the Elephant Room. So you're not going to want to miss it. And if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far in this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can contact me. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some...
listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, um, the Church of Jesus Christ only has one king, and that would be Jesus. But maybe unloving of me to point that out. We'll explain in a minute. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says Join Our Crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Peak elephants on parade, here they come. Hippity hoppity, they're here. And there are big elephants everywhere. Look out, look out, they're walking around the bed, on the head. Clippity hoppity, parade, in braid, big elephants on parade. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. I can stand the sight of worms and look at my... Microscopic germs, but Technicolor pachyderms is really too much for me. I am not the type to faint when things are odd or things are quaint, but seeing things you know that ain't can certainly give you an awful fright. What a sight! Chase them away! Chase them away! I'm afraid. Need your aid. Big elephants on parade. Big elephants. Big elephants. There we go. That's our elephant in the room update music. Okay, so... Now, believe it or not, that video that I played the audio from of, uh, of, of Bishop Eddie Long being promoted to king, he's now King Eddie Long, um, has implications uh, regarding the elephant room. Here's the reason why. The reason why is because Bishop T.D. Jakes and Eddie Long are very good friends. They run in the same circles. And... 
Oddly enough, Eddie Long and Stephen Furtick are connected, and I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, to kind of help uh, lay some of the groundwork here, let's make this clear that uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, um, from time to time, has um, preached at, well, King Eddie Long's uh, church. Here's some, some audio of um, T.D. Jakes preaching there. Here we go. I'm learning what I can do without I'm learning how to make it on two fish and five loaves of bread. I'm learning how to lay hands on myself and pray myself through the storm. I'm learning that if God be for you, he's more than the world against you. I'm learning that friends can leave and I can still make it. I'm learning that people can drop out and I can still stand. Okay, now, by the way, the thing you can't see because, well, this is radio, is that while T.D. Jakes is preaching... The people there at um, King Eddie Long's church. This was when this is before Eddie Long was actually uh, coronated as king. So this would be during the time when Eddie Long was bishop there, not king. Um, that there are people coming up and literally putting money, you know, uh, bills, you know, twenties, thirties, fifties, you know, not thirties, twenties, tens, fifties, hundreds on the steps right there leading onto the stage as he's preaching. So you got all these people putting money right right down on the stage there. I'm going through a downtime, but I'm all right. Because God is working in your trouble. Touch somebody and tell them God is working in your trouble. Stop rebuking the devil. Stop pleading the blood. Stop anointing the house with oil. This is not the work of a witch. This is not the work of a devil. This is not the work of a demon. This is the work of the Lord. And the Lord said, when I get through with... By the way, this is a sermon from August of 2011. Your latter day shall be greater than your former day. When I get through taking you through your tests and your trials, when you get through crying and crawling and begging and pleading, when you get through suffering and sacrificing, God said, I still got my hand on you. And when I see you pray like you used to pray, when I see you flip your plate over and fast like you used to fast, when I see you calling on my name, when ain't nobody looking, I will strengthen you and raise you up. Now, apparently he's speaking prophetically here. By the way, if you want to see this, you can see this on YouTube. It's it, the, the, the name of this video clip is Praise Him in Downtime. It's a little six-minute uh, video, and, uh, in, you know, it's uh, there for all to see. So, um, okay, so here's the deal. Reason I played that is so that you can t- you can see well not see but hear for yourself that obviously Bishop T D Jakes and former Bishop Eddie Long who's now King I I'm assuming that 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 means that he ranks uh, Bishop T D Jakes at this point um, that the, these guys share a pulpit okay now and remember T D Jakes well he was re- recently featured at the Code Orange revival. Um, but uh, also, more importantly, he was welcomed as a Christian brother, despite what you were hearing there. And if, if you saw what I saw, you'd see that uh, there were people literally just throwing money at him uh, in order to buy their blessing from God. Um, that's how that works in those uh, particular word of faith, TBN type um, ministries. 
But anyway, I digress. But the other fun part is is that um, if you were to go to Google, I'm on Google right now, and you were to type in "sun standstill" and you were to do a, you were to look for it in the books section, and you were to say, "Oh, here's Stephen Furtick's book, Sun Standstill." Okay, and you were to say, "Oh, look, Amazon has the ability to, you know, look inside, to kind of preview, get a taste and a flavor for what the book's all about," and you were to click on the "Look Inside." Uh, button and you know you would see that okay well there's the cover sun stands still what happens when you dare to ask God for the impossible by Stephen Furtick um, and then the, it immediately begins with this this section praise for sun stand still and you've got literally little promo uh, paragraphs telling you how you need to read this book from guys like Craig Rochelle mm-hmm um, Johnny Hunt Mark Batterson, um, Perry Noble, Andy Stanley, Jensen Franklin, Ed Young, Israel Houghton, Bishop, now I, 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 former Bishop, who's now King, Eddie Long, <clears throat> of pastor at, I'm sorry, King at New Birth Missionary Baptist Church. Um, here's what um, Bishop Eddie Long has to say about Stephen Furtick's book, Sun Stand Still. Sun Stand Still invokes the omnipotent power of God by challenging the reader to embrace God's will for our lives. By strengthening our faith through prayer, this book is enthralling and moves you to believe in the impossible as you learn to live a life of boldness for the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, what does this evidence demonstrate? Answer, I think it demonstrates very clearly that it's safe to say that Eddie Long is in the general same camp as T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick. Theologically, these guys all get along. In fact, they promote each other's works, speak well of each other, and, well, Stephen Furtick and Bishop Jakes were just recently featured in Elephant Room 2. Now, this is why the implications are important, okay? What you heard... And if you want to see it, you can find it on the internet. Go to YouTube and just you know type it in. Eddie Long, Crown King. Um, this now leads to the question: Can we, as Christians, without ever meeting Eddie Long, say, "Yeah, no, he's not king"? Can we do so without being well acting contrary? to the gospel. Can we do so without breaking supposedly a commandment found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love assumes the best of people, right? Uh, the reason I bring this up is because these are all th part ideas that were really introduced in Elephant Room 2 and also in the post Elephant Room 2 interview. So let me play for you some audio. Uh, from post elephant room to first from the beginning portion of it from uh, from the, the, that that uh, first video and then we'll go to the second. Here's here's uh, James McDonald. This is Brian Loritz who pastors a church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, this is Charles Jenkins who pastors uh, a church here in Chicago, and this is Eric Mason who pastors a church in Philadelphia. They're all fruitful. They're all committed to gospel work. And uh, you know what? I got humbled. So I'm not going to say whether what we attempted in this conference was successful. I'm going to let these brothers say that, and we're going to learn from you. So let's start with the conference in general. 
um, just the basic premise that we don't know people till we talk to them. Okay, now listen, look, this is important. What did TDJ, uh, not TDJ, James McDonald just say? He just said, we don't know anybody until we talk with them. And grace and truth in, in relationships. In- and- and though we and we need to have grace and truth in relationship, dances understanding even where we don't agree. Uh, was that accomplished today? Okay, so that's the premise behind the elephant room too. Okay, or behind the elephant room in general. You know, we don't know anybody until we sit down and we have grace and truth in relationship with them. Now, I've never met Bishop. I mean, sorry, King Eddie Long. Never met him. Okay, so do I have the right to say? No, something's way off here. That guy is behaving like a wolf, and what he's doing is not consistent with sound biblical doctrine. Now, keep in mind, I'm fairly convinced that if um, Mark Driscoll and Eddie Long were to sit across the table from each other in Elephant Room 3, and Mark Driscoll were to ask Eddie Long, do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant and authoritative word of God? uh, um, King Eddie Long would say, oh, yeah, I do. And he said, do you believe that God exists as uh, one God and three persons, eternally separate and distinct, yet yet they are the one God? I'm pretty convinced that Eddie Long would say, oh, yeah, I believe that. And he even wouldn't, he probably wouldn't even go, yeah, but uh, I prefer the word manifestation. I don't think he would go that route. I think he would just straight up say, yeah, I believe in the Trinity. Okay. Do you believe in salvation by grace? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, well, then that means he's a Christian brother, right? Because as they were sitting across from the table from each other, you know, in relationship with the assumption that grace and truth, and we assume the best of the person. Uh, so should we then, well, welcome him as a Christian brother? I think this is a valid question to ask, especially in light of the audio from part two of this post-elephant room interview that was posted yesterday. Here, I'll, I'll play it so you can hear it. Let's just hear this. Uh, what do you think about Bishop Jake's uh, position on the Trinity? For me... Trinitarian? Not. Satisfied? Not. Yeah, I, and, and, and I will say this as a, as a moody guy, um, as Bishop Jake's explained, um, coming from uh, the heritage... Now, this is uh, Charles Jenkins of Fellowship Missionary Baptist. Faith heritage that he came from and arriving at the place that he articulated. In my mind, I think it's a matter of semantics for him. Absolutely. Mm. Um, And and it's not a matter of theological dogma. Um, I I think it's, I think. So it's not about dogma, but semantics. It's semantics. Okay. And and so I think as he arrived, when he talks about arriving, I think in my mind, he was there, yeah. but not knowing the varying differences yeah. uh, between the two school, two schools of thought that were that were spoke to as yeah. as Mark was yeah. zeroing in on yeah. essence, three persons. Right. or one and whatever the other right. camp was. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's a matter of semantics for him. Okay. Eric? Yeah, I, I think that um, he affirmed it. I think at first we was a little, I was like foggy. Now this is Eric Mason, Epiphany Fellowship. About it. Um, but but, I, but, I, but I, he clearly confirmed the simultaneous existence 
of God the Father, God the Son. Well, when God he talked Spirit. about the baptism, when he said that he quoted the baptism, he quoted even though Hebrew Christian Hebrew scholars would lose their mind over using Genesis one for any of us to say let us, but. Right. Theologically, it's the, we would believe that's a triune Godhead. For him to use the, bat, the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3 and to be able to lay that out and say, I do believe in the simultaneousness. He said, and, he said, and, and it was the most interesting part of it is when Mark asked the question, this was key, what was the key dichotomy. He said, how do the oneness view you now? Yeah. And he said, as a heretic. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there like. Slapped on both sides of his head. <laughs> Two things. Number one. I, what was powerful to me is clearly now here's Brian Loritz. They articulate, but it was his story. So, so when Bishop says, "I grew up in this church," right? Yeah. This was the language I was handed. Yeah. That was that was amazing. Absolutely was closing, amazing to it? me. It was really yeah. So him and then him saying, "I have to undo." And then when he took us, he actually read a passage. Yeah. Right. That uses the word manifestation, yes, sir. Right. which was interesting, but it was absolutely clear. I would say he lines up with the conservative evangelical uh, camp uh, on that. Absolutely. The, the other thing, though, is now this is the important part, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier that I think ties in. You know, the black church has always been far incredibly redemptive. Um, he talked about that a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's it's just his so mercy. It's people and not issues for it. Now th that kind of bites us absolutely from time to time. Yeah. But honestly, if there's a side to miss it on, I'd rather miss it on the side of redemptively loving people and not going to war over an issue. Yeah. Mm. So we don't want to go to war over an issue, and we want to redemptively love a person. So here's the question I have for you, then. Brian Loritz and you from the Elephant Room. How are we to view King Eddie Long? Should we make an issue of the fact that uh, he brought in this flim-flam uh, showman to perform this never-before-seen ceremony in all of Christendom that de and uh, declared him to be king? Should we just redemptively you know, think the best of him since none of us really have had the opportunity to meet him. Should we err on the side of being on Eddie, I'm King Eddie Long's in, in his camp and, and keeping that relationship open? Or should we make an issue about the fact that he just went through a coronation ceremony and has now declared himself or was declared king? That's the question I have. How I mean, if I mean, if we're to take Brian Loritz seriously here, none of us, none of us have the right to take issue with the issue that King Eddie Long was just coronated king. Instead, we should re have a redemptive relationship with him that errs on the side of the relationship rather than the issue. Right. Again, let me back this up, and you can hear Brian Loritz make his case here as to what's the important thing here. Because, again, what's the, what is the rhetoric coming out of Elephant Room 2? You white, reformed, middle-aged guys love doctrine more than people. You are acting contrary to the gospel and 1 Corinthians 13 that says that love basically hopes and thinks the best of all things for people. And that we are to 
not take issue with issues of doctrine and dogma, but instead be in the relationship camp and not take issue with the things that they're saying. Listen again. Going back to what we were saying earlier that I think ties in, you know, the black church has always been far incredibly redemptive. Um, he talked about that a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's it's just His so mercy. it's people and not issues for it. Now th- that kind of bites us Absolutely. from time to time. Yeah. But honestly, if there's a side to miss it on, I'd rather miss it on the side of redemptively loving people and not going to war over an issue. Yeah, yeah so we need to redemptively love Eddie Long and not go to war over the issue that he was just coronated king, right? Yeah. So, so, now, so when he says he's been called to be a reconciler, yeah. I'm hearing a guy who loves people. Right. Yeah. The key. The key. Yeah. He loves people. That's why when he was preaching at Eddie Long's church in August of last year, those people were throwing money at him on the stage. Right. Are you sure he loves the people and not their money? I mean, granted, I don't have a redemptive personal face-to-face relationship with him, but what I saw tends to. Um, create the impression that there's an issue regarding money when it comes to T.D. Jakes and Eddie Long. But we continue. thing that he also said that I thought it was key when he was in the bullpen is when he said that African-Americans, there's very few things that we had the ability to not, I mean, we didn't have the luxury of saying who we weren't going to work with. Right, right. <laughs> you know, Wasn't that helpful? He said that, that last night at dinner, too. It was, was really... helpful. That was helpful. And I understand that there needs to... There are times when that comes, but it's just that I think we overdo it sometimes. Y'all got to pray for me, man. Yeah. Well, what I, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I've learned a lot from you here in this conversation. I learned a lot today from Bishop Jakes and all the guests. And uh, I guess what I would take from it, um, probably one of my main takeaways, I got to think and pray on this some more, you know. But I think one of my main takeaways is that um, if you discount relationship, mm. um, uh, you, you misunderstand a lot. Yeah. Mm. So if I just had a relationship with Eddie Long, then I wouldn't misunderstand this whole coronation and him being crowned king, right? And 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 just unlovingly take issue with it and say it's unbiblical, this is ridiculous, this is contrary to the gospel, this is contrary to the office of pastor. I mean, if I would just have a relationship with him, I wouldn't um, love my doctrine more than I love him, right? If if we hadn't reached out to Bishop Jake's in relationship, we would have misunderstood his theology. Mm. Now you may say he's. I wish he was clearer. Or I wish he was further. Right. But the movement, the trajectory is clear. Right. Um, he was unapologetic about that. Uh, the Trinity isn't something we can agree to disagree about. Right. It's 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 part of being part of Orthodox Christianity. Right. And so it is. It's not some minor we can get you know agree to disagree about. Right. I thought he was very clear where he stands. Um, I appreciated what he articulated. But I'll. And, and yet all of the substantive theological. Um, uh, basically look at what he said shows that he equivocated. And that's from both Trinitarians and oneness, folks. Just say further, um, I think that where I've been educated is I would be a person who would have said a little bit more like, well, what about your associations then? And if this is what you really believe, then why haven't you, um, you know, broken off with this? And I think that... Um, Which is exactly what God's Word tells us to do. More than getting an explanation from mm-hmm. him about that, 
I think that I learned uh, both in what we were attempting as a whole and what he modeled for us that uh, some of the conclusions that my background taught me about the necessity of severing relationship as part of your stand for the truth. I was educated today that when you're from a minority culture, you're a lot more careful about severing. and You can't just afford to be cutting that and you're out too and forget you and all the rest of it. And I truly believe with all of my heart that on that point, the black culture can teach the white culture Absolutely. about the, um, you know, the ethic of Christ, which was basically, I mean, I, he was fairly clear here. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. James, but don't you? Yeah, speaking about brothers. However, kind of, again, what he's, you'll notice what he's doing here, and I need to explain this, and I need to also point out uh, the point that I wanted to make regarding anointing. And uh, so if you have your Bible, open up to that tiny, tiny little epistle uh, entitled Second John. Second John. I want to read for you what the Apostle John had to say about associating with false teachers. Here's what he says. And by the way, by association, we're talking about basically uh the idea here is it's not just merely saying hey how's it going it's or having a conversation with them you know and and asking them questions about their theology or sitting you know sitting in a context where you're trying to understand what they're saying we're talking about putting your stamp of approval on their ministry and on their work so if you ha- again it's second john second john here's what god's word says um, the elder, okay. This, so this is the the elder to the cho- to the elect lady and her children, whom I love, and not only I but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is important here because you'll notice right off the bat, here in Second John is a commandment to love one another. This is a brotherly love. This has to do the lo- of, of the love between the saints. Okay, so and this is the command that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Here, the apostle John is telling us to love one another, right? Okay, and then he immediately says, "For many deceivers have gone out into the world." Those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh, those are the Gnostics, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, let me explain what's going on in this passage here. Okay? It's not saying, hey, you know, hey, how's it going? Like you're walking down the street. If you see a heretic, you have to cross to the other side. You can't even look him in the eye and say, you know, good day. You know, that's not what's going on here. Keep in mind, back then, um, they didn't have 
Greyhound. They didn't have trains. They didn't have automobiles. They didn't have airplanes. And so when teachers would go and, and teach and, and travel and teach, and the heretics were famous for this as well, they needed a base of operations. And many times they, they would have a base of operations in the home of one of the Christians in a particular congregation, say to the church sojourning in Ephesus. You know, you could say that there were some people there uh, who may even have church in their homes you know, depending on whether or not they're being persecuted for their faith. And then when some, when a, te- a teacher claiming to be a Christian pastor or a teacher, you know, would be traveling through town, they would need a base of operations from which to work from. And here, even, right off the bat, the John, the apostle, doesn't, I mean, it, I mean, let me read it again. It happens so quickly that you, you can't say that he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, but he's talking about that thing which is consistent with love. He says, and now I ask you, this is verse 5, Dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Christians, right? Okay? And this, and, this is the, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, and this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. So the Gnostics are deceivers and Antichrist. But then he says this, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. This is another sign of somebody who's a false teacher. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. That means they run on ahead teaching things that Christ never taught. Stuff that isn't even Christian, the Christian faith. They're running ahead, coming up with new ideas, new doctrines, new this, new that, right? Okay. Whoever, um, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring to you this teaching, okay, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting for anyone who greets him takes part in his wicked works. So that's the idea. It's not like somebody's upbringing teaches that we're not to welcome, that we're not to give a forum for, or or basically shake hands and and say, oh, this guy's okay. He's a, he's a brother when they're, they're not abiding in the, in the teachings of Christ, but are running on ahead and teaching other things. So Notice what they did here. They're just talking about in the context of of black culture. You know, we we prefer relationships over issues. I'm sorry, but here the Apostle John makes it clear that if you truly love God and love one another, you show that love by keeping false teachers who do not abide in the teaching of Christ out of the church, and you don't give them your stamp of approval for sure. But what they've done here is contrary to what God's word clearly teaches. So then I, you know, I again, I want to make kind of reiterate the point and then make one final point. Reiterate this point. That what are we to do with King Eddie Long? Well, it's very clear from Second John, he's not abiding in the teaching of Christ. What he's teaching isn't biblically and biblical or apostolic. And this whole idea that he's now king is nowhere taught in Scripture. Nowhere taught in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself warned us against guys like this. If you have your Bible, flip on over to the Gospel of Matthew. 
We're going to be in chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at the Olivet Discourse, at the beginning portion of it. Uh, Matthew 24, I'm going to start at verse 3. Here's what it says. As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and at the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, I'm going to point out a word for you. Okay, Remember I said, pay attention to the word anointing. Okay, This word comes up in this passage, but you may not recognize it. Okay, The word Christos, okay? Jesus says in verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Okay, this is important. They're going to come in the name of Jesus claiming to be the Christ. The word there is Christos, claiming to be an anointed one. Okay, claiming to have a special anointing. This is what Jesus is warning about. And if you fast forward a little bit in the passage, Jesus kind of, you know, makes the point again in verse 20. I'll start at verse 22. And Jesus says, "It And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect, the days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So what Jesus is literally saying here, there is going to be false anointed ones. That's what a Christ is, a Christos is, a false anointed one. There will be false anointed ones and false prophets arise, perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, Jesus himself, who, you know, if if John, the apostles, right, that God is love, not that love is God. There's a difference between those two statements, but God is love. Here is Jesus Christ, God incarnate, okay? And God is love. Here he's warning us of false anointed ones, false teachers. And the apostle John in his epistle, second epistle, makes it clear that it's not contrary to love to put out and not welcome false teachers who run ahead and do not abide in the teaching of Christ, but bring in new things that you're not to put your stamp of approval on them and say, here, I'm going to greet this person as a brother. Okay. Yet what happened in the elephant room, again, remember the context here. They're only talking of the context of the Trinity and at best, um, T.D. Jakes equivocated, but I want to make one other point, and that is this. Here's all this talk about the importance of relationship versus issues. We've heard these guys talking about it. James McDonald here is championing it. And yet I would like to point out that the day that this was recorded was also the day that I, when I showed up to watch The Elephant Room at the satellite campus in Rolling Meadows, was told that I was not allowed to be there, that I needed to leave the premises, and that they had called the police, and if I didn't leave, I would be arrested for trespassing. 
if it's all about love and relationships over issues, then why was I not even allowed to be on the premises when the elephant room was taking place? I wasn't there at the live site. I just wanted to watch it at a satellite campus. You know, all of this stuff rings hollow, and here's the reason why. These guys are giving a pass to a theologically obfuscatory, uh, uh, I don't even know if that's the right word, Equivoca it's an equivocation that uh, T.D. Jakes gave in, and they never addressed the big problem, T.D. Jakes's prosperity heresy. And yet video after video, sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon demonstrates that this man is one who preaches for shameful gain the things that he ought not to teach and that he runs ahead of the teaching of Christ and teaches new and strange things. And so does his friend King Eddie Long. If we were to take this advice from the Elephant Room gang seriously, then we have no ability whatsoever to sound the alarm that there are false Christs, false prophets, and false teachers in our midst. Instead, we would have to basically say, well, we need to love people more than issues. We love, need to love people more than dogma. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's see, the, here's the thing. The Apostle John doesn't teach love over dogma. He teaches both intention. You love people, and one of the ways you do love people is by holding to sound dogma and not welcoming people who run ahead and teach things that have nothing to do with the teaching of Christ, but teach new and strange and novel things, even though they can give lip service to a creed. Something to keep in mind. Okay, we're up on our second break, and if you would like to email me, Regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Schmelevans, we preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low 
prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Face sermon review time. I'm going to check back in with the Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota, see um, what Eric Dykstra is up to. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota. Eric Dykstra presiding. The name of the sermon is God Wants You to Dream Again, and it's from their latest sermon series entitled Rockstar Living the High Life. And I'm just going to ask a simple question. Is what we're hearing from Eric Dykstra here today in this sermon the teaching of Christ? Or is he running ahead and teaching things that are not what the historic Christian faith has taught? It's a fair question. Now, I've never met Eric Dykstra personally. I doubt he would want to have a conversation with me. So am I not qualified to determine as whether or not what he's teaching is the truth because I'm not in redemptive relationship with him? Or, using God's word clearly opened, am I capable of determining whether or not he's speaking the truth or whether he's speaking something that's false? It's a fair question. If we're to believe the guys in the elephant room, well... You can't critique a guy, and it would be contrary to the gospel, contrary to love, contrary to redemptive relationship, and choosing issues over people by saying, yeah, this isn't what God's Word teaches. I disagree with their assessment. If what they're saying is true, there's no way to warn the people in the church about people who are false teachers. In fact, we would have to issue an apology to the Arians, the existing Arians, on behalf of the church because of the pernicious lies and love of dogma over people on the part of Athanasius. Same with Augustine versus Pelagius. Same with Martin Luther versus the papacy. Something to keep in mind. All right, so without any further ado, let me kill the music here. Here is Eric Dykstra and his sermon... God wants you to dream again. Here we go. Going out across the church. Informal poll. Who likes Nickelback in here? I'm sorry. 
<laughs> hey, welcome to the second week of our Rockstar Life Series. I just going to do a special shout out to Big Lake, to Princeton, and to Zimmerman and the Crossing Center. Can we see hello to everybody? Thank you guys for hanging out with us on camera every single week. We love you. Okay, now we're going to start. We're talking about Rockstar Dreams this weekend. Yeah, Rockstar Dreams. So turn to the person next to you and tell them a dream that you have that you'd like to see accomplished in the next, I don't know, three, five, eight years. Like something you'd like, could be like, like the guys, I know some of you is like. Okay, where in, where in the Bible does it teach that we can have rock star dream, the, dreams, that God's all about us having rock star dreams? Is this the, the problem that Christianity came to solve? Dream girl, okay, it's okay to say that. If, if it's like a dream house or a dream car, or a dream boat or a dream car, I don't know what it is. Turn to the person next to you and tell them one thing you want to see happen in like the next five years. It's your dream. It should be a goal. Other campuses too watch this on screen. All right, you know what I know? I know that everybody's got a dream, so almost everybody had something to say, even if it was like, I want to be alive five years from now, it's still a dream. So what, what are some of the stuff that you said to, to your neighbor? Record an album. Test Pastor Ted in the back. What else? The, win the lottery. <laughs> that's, that's a good dream. What else? House. What else? What do you say? Debt free. How many want to be debt free? I'm in that group. Oh, yeah. That's a good goal. What else? My wife's goal, her, like her dream since she's a little kid was to be in the circus. That's why her church looks the way it does. <laughs> Seriously, that's been her dream forever. She wanted to be in the circus as a kid. One more. What else? Retire. retire. I don't want to retire. I like this. <laughs> hey, anyway, all of you have a dream. Like seriously, everything good starts with a dream, doesn't it? I mean, all great rock bands started with a dream. All great marriages started with a dream. All great careers starts with a dream. But here's the problem with dreams. It seems like um, our bubbles get popped really fast, don't they? Like, it was awesome, awesome. Like, ooh, pop. I had this dream for a great marriage, and now it's a nightmare. That's almost funny. But not really. That's just terrible. I had this dream for this really great career, and... I had, this, I had this dream that I was going to be the popular one, and now I just have an addiction. See, dreams can turn into nightmares really, really fast. And so here's what, I, here's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about what could I talk to the crossing about after a week in which, how many of you liked Brian Welch last weekend? Come on. That was freaking awesome. I mean, it was amazing. But I, they had Brian Head Welch of Corn uh, um, come in and preach. I was thinking, how do we follow up a rock star talking about exchanging his dreams for God, except for to go, what if we talked about uh, the fact that maybe you should dream again? See, here's what I think happens. I think in the course of life, life just beats the crap out of you and it beats the dreams out of you. Okay, now notice what he said. I think. Notice he's not using an open Bible here. Immediately, I would challenge this on the fact that um, as somebody who is a careful student of God's word, I'm not familiar with all the dream passages and how God wants to put dreams back into your life that, that have been beaten out of you by life circumstances. We've got a problem already here because he's not exegeting. He's beginning with, well, a common problem that apparently exists with Americans and, you know, and those people growing up in 21st century America. Yeah, I, I have a dream for my life to be somebody and to do something important. Hmm. 
Yeah, the Bible doesn't really seem to address this topic the way he's addressing it. If it did, then, well, then shouldn't he be opening up a biblical text and reading it to show us all the important dream stuff going on there? And you stop dreaming. You stop being excited about what could be, and you start going, I'm going to endure what is. And so I want to spend this weekend talking to you about the fact that I really believe God wants you to dream again, for you to think and plan and go, what could my life, like, you know what a dream is, right? Hoping for what could be. I mean, that's just really a dream. A dream is like, what could be next in my life? What, what could seeing life as it could be? And that's what I want to talk to you about. Like, there's a verse, a verse I want to give you. So a dream is hoping what could be. You got a passage for that. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19. Okay, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. O- open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Let's see if this passage really is all about dreams, but we'll, we'll let him teach for just a little bit. It says this, do not remember the former things or all the times everybody's popped your bubble in the past. All the times life popped your bubble in the past. Don't remember the former things. Don't remember the fact that maybe you had to go bankrupt. Or maybe you got fired and got a pink slip. Or, 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 or maybe, maybe your marriage went down the tubes. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I want to do a new thing. It Now it shall spring forth. In other words, I really believe that in every life, God has a dream for you, even if your dream got squished, squashed, uh, uh, like totally destroyed. And what I want to do tonight is I want you to... Okay, we're going to stop right there. Okay. If you flipped over to Isaiah chapter 43, you should be there. Now, there are three rules that we apply here at Fighting for the Faith on a regular basis in our sermon reviews. And those three rules are context, context, and context. The idea here is this, is that those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ but run on and teach things that they ought not to be teaching, uh, see uh, uh, Second John, one of the things they are notorious for that it, you can you can usually spot them pretty quickly is they take verses out of context and then weave a narrative around it okay so the question i have is if we were to put isaiah chapter 43 18 and 19 back into context would the greater context of that passage clearly demonstrate that this is that what God the Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Isaiah to write was advice regarding how to understand broken dreams and how to dream again and to have plans for your life? Is that what this passage is about? Well, in order to do that, let's put it in its full context, which means we're going to read several verses way ahead and also some verses behind it. In fact, as I'm reading, I'm not going to note the fact that I'm reading verses 18 and 19. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. 
Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and, the, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when you when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon, Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the, Cal, uh, the, the Cal, Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot, horse, and army, and warrior. They lie down, and they cannot rise. They are extinguished quenched like a wick remember not the former things nor consider the things of old behold i am doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it i will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert the wild beasts will honor me and jackals and the ostriches for i give water in the wilderness rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offering or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me. With your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. Yeah, does this sound like it has anything to do with dreams? Instead, when it's talking about remembering not the former things, it's not about broken dreams. It almost sounds eschatological. 
Remember not the former things, but focus on the promises of, of the God of Israel, who is the one who blots out our transgressions, has redeemed us, and will call all Israel. Because keep in mind, Christians are part of Israel too. We're grafted into Israel uh, uh, by faith, by grace through faith, into the same faith that Abraham had, right? This is what the book of Romans teaches. And it's here saying that God's going to gather all of Israel. The former things are not going to be remembered. Only the, only this new amazing thing that he's going to bring forth, he hints at it here in this passage. This isn't about your personal dreams or mine. This is about, well, what's passing and what's coming. And it's about the one who brings us there by blotting out our transgressions and calls us to abandon idolatry and iniquity and to come and wrestle with him, our great God and Savior, right? So isn't it interesting that he took two verses out of context? Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is not a promise that God's doing a new thing in your life resurrecting dead dreams or giving you new dreams where dreams have fallen flat. This isn't about dreams at all. This is about what God is really truly doing, and it's a lot bigger than you as an individual. So we've got a problem now. Eric Dykstra has taken this verse, allegorized it, and made it about your dreams when this verse has nothing whatsoever to do with your dreams or mine. Hmm. This is the classic tactic of false teachers who do not abide in the teaching of Christ but run ahead and teach things that they ought not to be teaching. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like to run ahead and teach things that are not uh, uh, really found in Christ. Yet I'm sure he's a Trinitarian. Stretch a little bit and consider the possibility that my, God might have a bigger, better dream for you in 2012 than he ever had for you in your entire life. Can we talk about this church? Good, get a Bible and go to Genesis chapter 12. You should be able to find that. It's on page nine. <laughs> right away in the front of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're gonna be on page nine. Um, I'd love for you to get out a pen and a piece of paper, take some notes, write something down so you can stay awake because I'm boring and it'll help you like focus a little bit. Like just write something down on the back of the piece of paper as we're going along, like just, if it'll help you pay attention and focus. Um, what? Well, sometimes I am. I bore myself. And if I have to listen to this, one time I'll, sometimes I'll watch my own sermon online and be like, dude, that guy's boring. <laughs> so I know some of you think so. So that's okay. To th like, I think that way about myself. So we're on page nine. Yeah, I watch him and I go, dude, that guy completely mangles and allegorizes God's word and makes it about you when it's not. Genesis chapter 12. And then we're going to do something special. We're going to stand in honor of reading scripture. We're going to stand up in honor of reading scripture. I have to tell you that all weekend long, Brian made fun of the fact I talk so fast. Um, he's like, he used to, he made fun of my praying too. Cause he said, when you pray, you always go, Jesus, you always like, so like, if I'm talking too fast, you're there's only a second time in church. Yes. I always talk this fast. You're gonna have to like catch up. I, it's just what I do. Um, we're, we're in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse one. Before I read this, let me just tell you what's going on. There's this guy in the Bible named Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Before his name was Abraham, he was called Abram. God changed his name when God gave him a new dream. Okay, that's important. God changed his name when God gave him a new dream. That's actually a false statement, because here's the deal. When you read Genesis in context, starting at the beginning, we begin with the story of creation, and then we immediately move into Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are told by God not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they disobey God. 
and as a result of it, all of humanity is plunged into sin. And every human being descended from Adam and Eve is dead in trespasses and sins. And as Genesis chapter 6 describes them, you know, that they only think evil all the time, even from childhood, right? Okay. So what happens, though, in the garden is that after Adam and Eve sin, God himself promises Adam and Eve a very interesting promise. He promises that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and in the process have his heel bruised. Strange thing, right? But we, in theological circles, we talk about that as the proto-euangelion. That's the first, the first gospel. The promise of the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so when we read in the Old Testament, we're reading of the bloodline of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There's a scarlet thread that runs through all of the Old Testament. And so what we're looking for in the Old Testament is following the lineage of this particular family, this particular genetic line, which has its ultimate culmination and consummation in the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God, right? Okay, Abraham is part of that scarlet thread. And so if you think that this is about, if you're reading Genesis chapter 12 and you think it's about God giving you a dream for your life, that somehow you can take a look at how God promised something specific to Abraham and how that means that God gave a dream to Abraham. And so you can see this and that God's also promising a dream in your life. You miss the whole point because the whole point of of Genesis chapter 12 is the promised seed, Jesus, the one who would come. Okay, the one whom Abraham, according to Jesus, longed to see, right? Read John chapter 8. He longed to see Jesus, and he saw it, and he was glad, Jesus said. The tale in John chapter 8. And the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus. You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham, right? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, ego me, I am, Right? So Genesis chapter 12 is really, well, it's really about Jesus, not your dreams. Well, let's see what he does with it. Change his name. So right now he's just Abram. And you don't know anything about him at all until Genesis 12 verse 1. Before Genesis 12 1, nobody really knows, knows anything about this old guy named Abe. Genesis 12 1 says this. The Lord had said to Abe, leave your native country and your relatives and your families and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. So leave everybody you know and everything you know and all your family and all your friends. Leave it all behind. Go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation or a great family. I will bless you and make you famous. That seems pretty good. I'll make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless you and make you famous? What translation are you reading? I will bless those who curse you. B- by the way, the name, of the, those s- who treat you- the name of the sermon series is Rockstar, Living the High Life. So apparently Abra- Abram is the example of living the high life of a rock star. God's going to make him fame. Well, yeah, kind of. We'll see. With contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Then you get to verse 4. It says, so Abram departed... Exactly as the Lord instructed. I want to talk to you tonight about 
not just Abe's dream that God had for his life, but about your dream. And I'm hoping that 2012 becomes... Hmm. Yeah, this is a problem. Um, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in all the families of the earth in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Boy, this is important stuff here. How, question, was all the families of the earth blessed through Abram? Answer, through Abram's great, 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 grandson, Jesus Christ. Right? Because Jesus is the promised seed. He's the one whom the nations look to for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus is the one whom John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? This isn't about your dreams or mine. And Abram's not a pattern of how God works and gives you dreams. Because nowhere in Scripture does God promise that he's going to make you a great nation or that he will bless you and make your name great that he so that you will be a blessing god has not promised he has not promised that those who bless you will be blessed and those who dishonor you will be cursed and god has not promised that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed this what what eric dykstra is doing here is to miss the whole point of scripture this is what it means to not abide in the teaching of Christ. He's running on ahead and teaching something this text doesn't say. We continue. It's the greatest year of your life. Let's pray and we'll talk about it, Jesus. In honor of reading scripture, we stood because we believe that only this book can transform us. There's no other book that can do so. God, as we dig into this, we're not trying to hear Pastor Eric. We're just trying to hear the word of God. We're trying to hear you. We ask you to speak through me. We ask you to use the words of this text to talk to every life. I pray that you, that, that wherever anybody's at, I don't know where they're at with God. I don't know where, where their life is at. I don't know what nightmare they've faced, but I pray that you give them a new dream this weekend. I pray for every campus, that every person sitting in every chair, big like Princeton, Zimmerman, Elk River Sunday night, that you put a new dream in their heart and in their mind and give them hope again about what could be, seeing life as it could be, what could happen next. God, we give this weekend to you. We thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. We're going to start by playing a game. Do you ever notice that, uh, that uh, rock and roll talks about dreams a lot? Like, seriously, rock and roll? Like, so many songs about rock and roll are about dreaming. I'm going to play for you a clip. I want you to shout out, I want you to shout out the uh, musician or the band and the name of the song. Go one. Are you there yet? What? All right, cut it off. What is it? Green Day. What? 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 what what's the song? Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Sorry, second one. <laughs> one of the most famous songs of all time. 
Oh, we can't turn that one off. We gotta leave it go. That's just good stuff. All right, turn it off. Who is it? Aerosmith, Dream On. Give me a third one. <laughs> All right, shut it off. Uh, we leave that off forever. <laughs> what is that? Katy Perry. Teenage Dream. Yes. How, who likes that song? Okay, got to point this out. None of these, none of these songs have anything to do or offer us any help in understanding what this biblical text is about. He's engaging in narcissistic. Eisegesis. Eisegesis means to read into the text something that isn't there. The, a pastor is supposed to exegete, read out what God has written in his word. At this point, he's engaging in narcissistic, that's self-loving, eisegesis, reading himself and you into the text. But this text isn't about you, it's about Jesus. Because Jesus is the promised seed who would be the one, the descendant of Abraham, in whom all the nations would be blessed. It's right there in the passage that he read. And yet, he's somehow making this about dreams. Hmm. Again, this is the one of the classic techniques of Bible twisters and false teachers. My daughter likes that song, so that's all right. <laughs> she was all like, yay! Like, okay, here's the, here's the deal. Literally all over rock and roll, I went online and just like, like Googled rock and roll songs with dream in it. Oh my gosh, there's hundreds. Hundreds, like why? Because I think God wired us up to dream. I think God wired you up. The way in which your life progresses is you always... I think, I think. Got a Bible verse that says this. Just have hope for something new, right? The problem is that life starts to beat the, beat the crap out of you and you stop dreaming anymore. And so what I, what, what I want to do tonight is this. I want you to exchange your dream for God's because God never quits dreaming. See, I think God looks at your life from the moment you were created and he had high hopes for you. That he had this, this, this plan, this desire, this thought. What could I do with that girl? What could I do with that guy? And now notice, he's not actually giving us a passage that says this. He's just postulating his thoughts here and his opinions. He put a dream, he had a dream about your life. Now here's the thing with this. The, the, the story we just read was about God's dream for one guy named Abe. But found within those little four verses are the keys to you discovering God's dream for you. If you just understood those four verses and we could just like... This is not true. This is not a valid implication of the text. Nowhere does this text teach this. On top of it, we have an entire 2,000-year history of the church's reading of this text, and it's about Jesus, not your dreams. Rip them apart. We're just going to like... We're going to rip up the Bible a little bit and like dig in like... And just eat it. Like, let's see if we can understand it a little bit more. And the point is, is if you could get those four verses, you would begin to understand God's dream for your life. I just want to share with you four things. Can I do that? One, write this down. Number one, God wants to speak to you and tell you his dream for your life. Say, God wants to speak to me. Come on, say, God wants to speak to me. I know that all of you believe this. And you're like, I don't know if God wants to speak to me or not. Well, look at the verse. This is Genesis 12, one of the very first part of the verse says, the Lord said to Abraham, God talks. The yeah, but this text doesn't say God wants to talk to you and reveal a dream for your life. It doesn't say that. He's reading something into the text that isn't there, and this is dangerous. Again, narcissistic 
eisegesis. Bible's not an exception. So here's what people think. The Bible is a magical book in fairy tale Bible land, and God once in a while said words to people, but I'm not that special, so he doesn't talk to me. And I would tell you this is not the exception, this is the rule. That God wants to talk to every life like he talked to Abraham. Here's the thing with this. Um, most of the time we're just, we're not tuned in. Put your, put your hands up. Put your hands up. Come on. Put them by your ears and go. <laughs> you look dumb. <laughs> Seriously, I think the reason why we don't hear God is because we're not very tuned in. See, some people are like, like, God never talked to me. And like, I'll tell you, um, well, you got like 5,000 pages of stuff that God said to you. See, the reason why this book exists is because God wanted to say something specific and special over your life. But if you just go, eh, this is the Bible, what if? And you don't pay attention, you don't get to hear God's dream for you. No dream for you. Why no dream for you? Because you didn't bother to look, but the book is right there. And like, seriously, it took him 1,500, 1,600 years to get this thing all, all written entirely just for your life. Yeah, because it's all about the dream that God wants to reveal in your life. Uh-huh, right. No, it's all about Jesus. It's how long it took to write the Bible. They preserved it over 2,000 years so that today, right now, you could have it. You could open it up and go, oh, my gosh, God wants to say something to me. The point of this book is that you would never think that God doesn't care about your life. That he has a good dream for you. No, actually, you're kind of right and kind of wrong. Yeah, it's true that God has a, you know, that he loves you. But it, the biblical text said that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's twisting God's word here and making it about you, and it's not. But he doesn't just talk through the Bible. I think he also talks through the Holy Spirit. Come on, say Holy Spirit. So what that means is this, that when you, you give your life to God, you decide you want to follow Christ with your life, uh, the, the scripture says in, that the Holy Spirit literally moves into you. John 16, 13 says God guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And literally there'll be moments. No, actually that text is not about God guiding us into all truth. When you read that in context, it's about the Holy Spirit guiding the apostles in all truth. Yeah, it has to do with them remembering everything that Jesus taught. Look it up. So you're like, dude, I really think I have to do this. I really believe I, 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 have, to, I have to do this. And like, what is it like? So God like talks to you audibly? Yes, he's from heaven. He goes, Eric, you no, he doesn't do that. <laughs> God's never talked audibly to me. Like I wish, it'd be really cool. It'd be like, he'd write it in the sky on a cloud. That'd be awesome, do that. He's never done that. But what I do know is there have been moments in my life where I can't explain it. I just know what I have to do. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, like I, I can't, I have to do this. That's God talking to your life. You know, the number one question I get as a pastor is, how do you know God's talking to you? You just know. For those of you that have had the Holy Spirit talking to you, it is just overwhelming. I can't get away from it. Like uh, some examples. I knew, like God told me exactly what college to go to. I couldn't get out of it. I moved from Iowa to New York State, my freshman year of college. Had to go there. I don't know why. God told me I had to go there. God told me I had to marry her. I'm not making that up. And then I asked her out 50 times because I knew God told me to, to, like I was supposed to marry her. And she said no. And I was like, what? So then I'm depressed. I'm like, God, I told what you told me to do. And she's like, she's rejecting me. There's a lot of rejection. Eventually she said yes. 
I knew it. I knew God told me to start a church. He like literally, he made it insanely clear. You have to do this. You're not allowed to do anything else. You have to do this. It was God's dream for my life. See, Just like God's dream for Abraham, see? God has one for you too. It's already written. Then why doesn't, then why doesn't Genesis chapter 12 say that? It doesn't. It nowhere says in Genesis chapter 12, just like Abraham, how God had a dream for Abraham, he has a dream for you. It doesn't say that. In fact, you'll look all throughout all of Scripture from the beginning of Genesis to the end of maps. You will not find a passage that says God has a dream for you the same way he had a dream for Abraham. Because the promise that was made to Abraham was concerning his offspring. So that Abraham, at this point, well, is carrying in his loins the Messiah. We're following the scarlet thread of Scripture through the Old Testament to Jesus Christ, the one in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed, Scripture promises. And he wants to speak it to you. And God said to Abraham, and God said to Jeff, the text doesn't say this. Or any other name you want to put in that blank. See, God has something specific. When was the last time you heard God? I don't, I don't What if, I, 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 it's just a crazy thought. What if for the next week, what if for the next week, your prayer every single day was God, whatever you ask of me, whatever you want to say, just, will you just please talk to me? Like, I just, just say something. Like, I want to know it's you. Say something to me. Whatever you say, I promise I'll do it. I'll do whatever you ask. I just want you to talk to me. You know what I would guess he would do? I bet he'd, I bet he'd answer that prayer. You know how I know? This is Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. It says this. If you look, I would say, or listen, for me, for Christ, for God in earnest, you will find me when you what? See, the problem is, see, most of us, we're just not listening. We're not, we're not tuned in. Yeah, again, Jeremiah 29 is not teaching the, the, the steps that we have to take in order to hear God's voice. If you have your Bible, flip on over to the prophet Jeremiah. Um, prophet Jeremiah chapter 29. Normally when people take this passage out of context, they quote verse 11. But here's the first. I've now seen, this is the first time I've ever seen verse 13 taken out of context. Let me help you out here. We're going to apply our three rules. Context, context, context. We're going to start at verse 1. These are the words of of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now you know the context. We're reading part of a letter that God had the prophet Jeremiah take down, literally word for word. You can think of Jeremiah here as being God's secretary. God's saying, Jeremiah, grab a pen and paper, take this down, 
It's going to be a letter. I want this to go to the exiles. Listen to it's too. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Huh. Weird. He didn't quote that, did he? Don't listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. What place is it? Jerusalem. This is not some allegorical, hypothetical, metaphorical Jerusalem. This is actually physical Jerusalem by physical exiles who were physically let, who conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar and forced to march from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is God sending him a letter saying, hey, I haven't forgotten you. Here's my plan. After 70 years, I will bring you back. I'll make good on my promise. After 70 years, you're coming back here. So you tell your, you, 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 you take wives for yourself. You give wives to your sons and daughters. You pray for the, for Babylon where I'm sending you, right? And after 70 years, you'll come back. That's what God said. This isn't some kind of metaphorical thing regarding your life or mine. This is a historical circumstance where God is speaking to a specific group of people about a specific set of circumstances and a specific set of promises he intended to fulfill for them. We continue. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. Notice it says if you it doesn't say if you seek me he said it says you will seek me. It doesn't say if you seek me with all your heart then I'm going to speak to you. He says no no no. After all this is done you will call upon me and you will pray, I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I have driven you declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See what's going on here? God's making promises to a specific group of people. It does demonstrate how God works in some senses. But God is not, it, this, uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 is not saying, if you seek God with all of your heart, then he's going to speak a dream into your heart and, and into your life. It's not saying that at all. We spend our life running around like all the time doing this, going to that place, hanging out over there, and we never take the time to go, God, do you really want to say something to me? And then we run off and make choices, and we end up in nightmares rather than dreams. Is that making sense? Guys, God has something. Look, seriously, what if, what if, your next week, every single day for seven days, you just started your day off or ended your day off with that one prayer. God, whatever you ask of me, I'll do. Just talk to me, please. 
Whatever you ask of me, I'll do. Just, just talk to me, please. He might say something crazy like break up with your boyfriend. See, then there's your tests. If you do it, he'll keep talking. If you don't, he won't. So why should he talk to you when you're gonna flip him off anyway? It's a big waste of his time. He might say, you know what? I want you to give 100 bucks to some guy down the street. What? Like, I gotta, what will I do? I don't like, You want me to be generous? Like, the more you obey when you hear him, the more he talks more. The less you obey, the less he talks. Wow, all law, no gospel, and not a single verse that says this. This is the sign of a false teacher. My son, who's 14, this is a question, a conversation he and I have all the time. God, how do I know when I'm hearing God? Dad, how do I know when I'm hearing God? Like, how do, how do I know? If it's an overwhelming sense of I have to do this, you have to do it. As long as it, obviously it's not something bad. Because that's not God. God's going to give you something that's going to be in line with the rest of those teachings of Scripture. He's going to always do it. Like, that's why it says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He's going to not lead you into lies. He's going to lead you into truth. But if you'll do it, he'll talk to you more. And he'll talk to you more. And he'll talk to you more. You want to know God's dream for your life? What if it starts with a question? God, whatever you ask, I'll do it. Will you please just talk to me, please? I bet he would. Does this make sense? Why don't you say, God wants to speak to me? Number two, second thing you have in Genesis chapter 12. God's dream for your life is a good dream. God's dream for your life is a good dream. Say, God's got a great dream for me. Look at the person next to you and say, God's dream for you is sick. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> God's dream for you is, see, here's what I know. I know a lot of you, if, if you believe in God, you don't think God's got a good dream for you. He's got a nightmare probably for you. He's got a, he's got a I don't really care about you dream for you. I know this because when I, like, how many of you had a teacher in school that like all he cared about was the rules, but he didn't care about the students? Can I see your hands? Most of you have. Those are the teachers that everybody hates. They're the ones that like, they just enforce all the rules and they always like give them detention and like this and that. And, like, and then they're yelling at people all the time. They're just really annoying to be around. Nobody likes them because all they care about is the rules, but they don't actually care about the students. They're just about the rules, never the students. I used to think that was God. That all God cared about was follow my rules. Actually, the only thing I ever heard from God when I was growing up was like, the, the, the Bible's talking to me this way. The Bible only says one word, no. <laughs> if it would be fun, no. No on that page, no, no, no. <laughs> it was always just no. Like you were never allowed to have, like that's what I thought the Bible was designed to do, to tell me no. Like, you, like God didn't really care about me at all. He just wanted me to jump through a bunch of hoops and follow the rules. But that's not true. And God's got a good dream for every one of you in this room. For your life specific, not just follow the rules, but your life specific. Go back to Genesis 12 again. We're gonna read, the, we're gonna read verses two and three. Here's what it says. It says, I will make you a great nation. You know what he just said? Abe, I wanna give you a great family. Is that good? Anybody here want a jacked family? Ooh, I really want a jacked family. Yeah, but the promise isn't being made to you. No, God wants to give you a good family. That's what he said. Abe, I want to give you a good family. I will bless you and make you famous. Is that good? 
God's not promising this for me or for you. He promised this to Abraham. Yeah. And you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. You know what he just said? I'm going to protect you from crazy people. People that don't like you, I'm going to protect you from them. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse. Is that, is that a good dream? Let's see what he does with the next verse. I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, God's going to protect you. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. In other words, Abe, you're going to have such an off-the-hook life, you're going to change the world. Oh, man. He completely missed the point that uh, that last portion is about Jesus. That's how the world is blessed through the offspring of Abraham, through Jesus. Oh, man. So here's what I want you to understand, that this dream found on that page was not anything negative, and it was not a bunch of rules. It was, I just have a good plan for you. This is to miss the whole point of what's going on in this text because he's reading himself into it and you into it rather than reading it about Jesus because that's what the passage is about. Same is true for you. God has a good... Now, I'm going to say something crazy. Okay, trip it out. Oh, this is weird. Um, people immediately assume that the reason why God was so nice to Abraham was because Abe was such a good boy. It was like a good church boy, like he followed all the rules, and so he got the gold star from God and got like, no. The first thing you find about Abraham is God talked to him. Not that he did anything good or bad. See, according to the Bible, Abe wasn't necessarily a good guy. You have no idea how good Abe was. Right after this, you find out Abe's lying about his wife. You find out Abe's a bad guy. God came to Abraham before he was good or bad. He was just a dude and said, I want to bless you. Uh, no, Abraham, like every human being, was born dead in trespasses and sins. He was already a sinner. That tells you something, that God wants to bless your life regardless of how jacked you are right now. No cross here. God wants to just bless your life. I mean, that's what a great God. He just The God who just wants to bless you. It doesn't matter whether or not you're good or bad. Forget the fact the scripture says we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. That means we're all sinners. God just wants to bless you. It doesn't make any difference how jacked you are right now. He wants to bless your life now, in this moment. You don't have to clean your life up first. Well, if I can just, if I can start going to church and not swear so much, man, God might be nice to me. No! Literally, this is the grace of God, that every life, regardless, it doesn't make a difference who you slept with. It doesn't make a difference how, how bad of an addict you are or how jacked your marriage is. It doesn't matter. He wants to look at your life right now, this very second, like, what's up? I want to be good to that girl. This is not the gospel, and he's not reading this from any text. This is a false gospel. I want to be good to that guy. This is what scripture, think of it like this. Um, how many like the twins? You got to like the twins in Minnesota. <laughs> you have no choice. And a couple years ago, I went to a Twins game with my son, and we hadn't bought tickets in advance, so we were just like going down. And I, I'm a Chiefs case, so I was going to buy like cheapest tickets ever and sit wherever. In the nose. I don't care. But like, just I, so I get down there, I'm standing in line to get my tickets, um, and uh, I'm waiting in line, I'm waiting in line, I'm waiting in line. All of a sudden, this guy taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, he goes, uh, Hey, are you guys going to go to the game? Well, yeah, that's why I'm in line. Well, I have two tickets. Do you want them? I'm like, Well, how much are they? Well, you can have them for free. I'm like seriously? He's like, yeah, I don't want to, like, what messes, like, just, you can just have them. Like, really? You can just give me that your ticket? He's like, yeah, I was, I'm not going, so, like, here you go, you can just have, so Brad and I took the tickets, and we went over to the gate, and, like, went through the gate, and we were looking for our seats, and they're like, God, God, and this, 
I'm not making this up. They were 10 rows behind home plate. <laughs> we had the best freaking seats in the whole house. I mean, it was ridiculous. What did I do to deserve those seats? Nothing. I was just a dude standing in line and going to go buy my seats, buy my tickets. Same thing is true for you and God. God, literally, it doesn't make it, it yesterday doesn't matter. This morning doesn't matter. Two years ago doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right now, God wants to tap you on the shoulder and be like, dude, here's tickets. If yesterday doesn't matter, then why was Jesus naked, beaten, scourged, bleeding, nailed through his hands and his feet, had a crown of thorns pressed on his head, suffering and dying on the cross for your sins and mine. If yesterday just doesn't matter, and the only thing God just God just wants to be good to you, you know, and you know, make your life really great, spectacular, you know, change the world kind of stuff. To the plan for the rest of your life. I want to be good to you. This is all of scripture talks about the grace of God. God can be good because Christ paid the price for us at the cross. Okay, first mention of the cross. But is this really the promises of the cross, God, so that God can, he just wants to be good to you. Okay, you haven't explained sin. You've glossed over it. You haven't explained how our sins have earned us God's wrath and punishment and an eternity in hell and how Jesus suffered the wrath of God in our place on the cross. It doesn't make sense. Say, God wants to be good to me. And if you, if you don't take anything else away from this talk, please take that, because that's the most important thing you'll ever hear. God wants to be good to your life. He has a good dream for you. Okay, third thing. Third thing. God's dream for you is not just about you. What? What do you mean? I want it to be about me. Yeah, let's talk about selfish ambition for a second, shall we? This will be fun. <laughs> See? I'm sure it's going to be ironic. There are people that we all know, including me and you. Let's, we're all this way. At one point or another, I want a new car. I want a new house. I want a new career. I want a new marriage. I want better health. Uh, I want a million dollars. I, 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 I want it. I want to be a rock star, baby. I want it. I want this. And I would tell you that God doesn't bless that kind of request. That's bratty. See, God blesses people whose dream is to bless the world. Yeah, so make sure if you're going to have a dream that it's something to do with blessing the world. Because, you know, remember, all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. See, so Abraham's dream was to bless the world. Isn't that great? I want to, I, I want to progress in my life so that I can help someone else, not so that I can be famous or that I can have more. It's not about me getting a bigger house or a better car or nicer stuff or, or more popular Literally, God, I'm asking you to bless me because I want to help others with whatever you do in my life. That's a dream God blesses. The other stuff's just bratty. Mm. So as long as you have good intentions for the dream that you have, then God will say, oh, look, you have such great intentions. I'll bless that one. And see, this is why most people come to church. Most people come to church because I, 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 I want this. I want him to fix my marriage. I want him to fix my health. Uh, I want him to give me a better job. I don't have a job. I need a little more money. So I'm here and I'm praying. I, 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 I. It's all about you. And I have to tell you, God doesn't 
bless those dreams. Because all you're thinking about is yourself. So this is, this is what the text says. This is, this is Genesis 12 again. This is verse two and three. Verse two and three is, is, is trippy to me. It says this, you will be a blessing to others and all the families of the world will be blessed through you. In other words, God had a dream for good old Abe, but it really wasn't about Abe. It was about, I'm gonna do something good to you. I'm gonna make you famous. I'm gonna give you a great career and a good family. Why? So that you can help other people, bless other people, be good to other people. It just is unbelievable. He can't see that this is about Jesus. Wow, that is frightening. You need to understand, I don't, it doesn't make a difference what your dream is. God's not gonna bless a dream that is all self-centered. He blesses dreams that are about how I can engage, help, and bless the rest of the world. So for example, I want God to bless my career. Hoping for a better career. Okay, I'm gonna pause right there. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Galatians chapter three. I need to point this out. The New Testament actually gives us the right interpretation of this passage. Okay, this is why a good study Bible with cross-references is very important. Because if you have a good study Bible with cross-references, as you were reading through Galatians chapter 12, verse 3, you would have saw that there's a cross-reference in the New Testament to this specific verse. Okay, and I'm going to start at chapter 3, verse 1, so you can see the context here. Because this is in this book, it's talking about the difference of works righteousness versus salvation by grace through faith, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, where we're declared righteous, okay, by faith, which is what the scriptures teach, okay? Paul writes, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's answer, hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or declare righteous the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, tells us that that sentence that says, In you all the nations shall be blessed, that God there was preaching the gospel to Abraham. And that that passage, that sentence is about Jesus So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and continue to do them. Now it is evident that no one is declared righteous before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So this is frightening. 
Galatians 3.8 makes it clear, the, the verse that he's making about God wants to do some radical dream where you're going to change the world isn't about you radically changing the world through a dream. Instead, that's the gospel being preached there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Because Jesus is the one, the seed of Abraham, who blesses people in all nations. This is a dangerous reading of the text because he's taking a text about Jesus and making it about you and about me. And it's not. And it's not about God promising us dreams. Uh, Eric Dykstra is delusional. He's seeing things in the text that just ain't there. Because you ain't there, I ain't there, but Jesus is. The Apostle Paul, writing under the Holy Spirit, made that clear in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. You've got to change your motivation to God. If you'll bless my career, I promise I will use every ounce of influence to encourage and help and bless other people in whatever, you, whatever job you give me. However, wherever I go, I want to be a blessing to somebody else. I want to help somebody else. God will bless. He'll go like, dang, that kid's not a brat. I can bless that. This is works righteousness. How about uh, God bless me with a spouse, man? I really, I really want a spouse. Yeah, he will when you recognize the fact that marriage isn't about making yourself happy, but it's about making somebody else happy. Otherwise, you won't be married very long. It'll end up a nightmare. I, re- I, re- I don't like being single. I, 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 I don't like being single. Give me someone for me. <laughs> that, that relationship, I, I wouldn't, it's just not going to go anywhere. Because it's like two people getting together being about self. How about, God bless me with more cash. I need more cash. I need more cash. He's going to go, how about you be generous with what you got? And I'll bust you with some more. I look at you and go, dang, I could do good things with your life. But you gotta, you got to look at whatever I have, whatever I want to be, whatever hope and dream I, I, I'm thinking about and go. This is just pure, unadulterated works righteousness. This is actually the Galatian heresy. Uh, Eric Dykstra style, but it's the same concept. Read the book of Galatians in context from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the end of the of the letter, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is just pure, unadulterated works righteousness, salvation, justification, and making God happy by your good works and you showing God that you have good intentions. Well, if we had good intentions and God can bless us just because we have good intentions and we are good and we are, want to do the right things, we don't need Jesus at all. How can I use this dream to bless the world? I'm going to ask a hard question. I want you to analyze your life. Are your dreams all about you or about, are they about blessing others? See, because what you want. So this is what we all want. We want our natural to have God add the super to it. So we get the supernatural. Like supernaturally bless my dreams. He'll go, cool, I'll give some super to your natural when your natural is about helping other people. Is that, is that making sense in your head? So uh, just I'm singles in here. I want to find the perfect woman. So I made a list. I hope the list is about how you're going to be the perfect husband. Because if I live up to that list well, I'll attract somebody good. See the distinction? Musicians, I want to be a rock star, baby. I really want to, I want to like, I want to make it big. How about, 
God, I'm a musician, and if you can just use my music to help somebody else, I will just thank you and encourage every person that comes to my show, whether it's big or small. One of the things I appreciated about Brian last week was in the lobby with every person for as long as it took, pictures, autographs. Why? Because he wasn't about him. He was about how he could be gracious to somebody else. He's using the little bit of fame he had, the little bit of rock star he has to be encouraging and blessing somebody else. See, that's something God blesses. Business people, man, I want to grow my career so I can make some more money so I can retire. Retire is not bad. I hope you get to retire. But what if along the way, you're thinking every day, how can I be a blessing to every person that comes in my store or every, every home I got to go and fix or every business deal I'm about ready to do? How can I just help and encourage and bless that person? And then when things don't go your way, you basically are going to despair. This is all law. There's, this isn't the gospel. Addicts, I just want to be sober. That's still self-centered, man. How about I want to be sober so I can be a good father and a good husband. Now, I want to be sober so I can get my life back and go off and do what I want to do. <laughs> See, the distinction is significant for the blessing of God. Seriously, like whatever dream that you had listed on, like what you told your neighbor, it's probably a great dream. The dreams are not bad. They're, they're good hopes. They're good goals. But what if you change the motivation behind them? Yeah, like that's just so easy to do because we're dead in trespasses and sins and bent in ourselves. Like that's so easy to do. All God cares about is your motives, right? Well, that's the case. You're damned because your motives are not pure. Even your best good works are riddled through with sin and selfish desires. When my wife and I got married, I'm not making this up, and we're not super spiritual and like, like we're not trying to put ourselves on a pedestal, so don't do that. But when we got married, this was the prayer we prayed. God, if you can use our marriage to bless and help the world, we give you our marriage. And God has taken good care of our marriage. God, God gave us happily ever after when we said our marriage isn't even about us. It's about how we can use it to bless the world. See, he's just like Abraham. See, as long as the focus is in, inward and it's about me and it's for me, and it's a, then God looks at you and goes, dude, you're such a brat. Why should I bless that? But when you're looking at the little bit, seriously, some of you, some of you in high school or junior high or whatever, the little bit of influence that you have over your friends, what if you used it positively in the school? So that the kids that don't really fit in and everybody, like as soon as I say that, everybody knows that. Like there's, what if you used the little bit of influence you had to encourage them just a little bit? I didn't say you had to like sit with them every day at lunch. <laughs> but, but what if you were the one who went out of your way to give that, to brighten that person's day just a little bit because you have a little more influence than they do. It'll mean the world to them. See, every single teenager in this room, you are a rock star in some sense. There's always somebody else that's lower on the totem pole. And when you just bless that other person who's looked down on, you make their whole day. Whatever you have, when you offer it to God and say, God, if you'll use it, God will bless it. 
He takes your natural. No, notice this is a completely Jesus Christless sermon, with the exception of the tiny little mention of Jesus' death on the cross. Let me point something out. Romans chapter 8. I'll start at verse 1 so we get some context. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for the world. It says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, God sees us as perfectly righteous because Jesus' righteousness is given to us as a gift that is grasped by faith. And even that ability to grasp it by faith is given to you as a gift by God. So the idea here is this. God isn't looking for you to clean up your motives in order to bless you. He's calling you to repent and be forgiven and trust in him. And your sin is imputed to him and atoned for on the cross. His sinless life is imputed to you as if you lived it. And this is all done by grace through faith. Okay, but I continue. Okay, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Notice that this is this is what he's talking about. Come on, you want to be blessed by God? You just you just need to change your motives. But here's what Romans eight five says: Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the, things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here Eric Dykstra is preaching to a whole bunch of people. You just need to set your mind on the spirit and 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 and, and have good motives and then God'll bless you. And yet the scripture says those who have their mind set on the flesh, it's host- they're hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Where's the preaching of repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? It's not present. Why? He doesn't understand it. Here, he's read Genesis 12, 3, a passage about Jesus. The apostle Paul makes that clear, and he totally missed the point. And now he's preaching works righteousness based upon you just working up the right motives. You don't have to live a good life. No, 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 no. Just have good motives and God will bless you. But Romans 8, 7 says that you can't in and of yourself have the right motives. In fact, they condemn you. This is just tragic. This is what it means for the blind to lead the blind and he adds some super to it. Does that make a sense? God has a good dream for you, but it can't be a self-centered dream. And I only have one more. I only got one more thought from this. We're super short and sweet and simple tonight. Number four, God's dream requires you to move away from former things and to move towards something new. I want you to say, I gotta leave some former things. I got to go to something new. 
You do, you're gonna have to go to something new. We're gonna give you the verse that we gave you to start this whole talk off. This was Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things. Run away, run forest, run. Run away from some former things. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall come forth. In other words, this. In order for God to get you the dream that he has, you're gonna have to give up on some stuff now. You're gonna have to leave some things behind in order to get the good thing that God has planned for you. The example I would use is Abe. This is, Abe, this is Genesis 12, one and four again. Here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abraham, first time God talks to Abraham, leave your native country, everything you know. Leave everything you know. And your relatives, oh crap. And your father's family, all your friends. Leave everything you know, your family and your friends, and go to a new land that I will show you. And then you get to verse four. So Abe departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. In other words, this, in order, and this is what happens next. Abe goes to this awesome new off-the-hook place, and it's amazing. But the only way he got the new thing that God wanted him to get was if he left the family and the friends and the old things behind Do you know that there's not anything different with your life? You're gonna have to leave behind some things. This is this is where this is where the like people give up on Christianity. What they want is they want to keep their former things and get some new God stuff too. I say like I hold on to both, baby. I can like I can I can I can Again, the passage isn't saying this at all. It just isn't. He's seeing he doesn't know how to read the text because he doesn't understand to see Jesus in it. Like, I can have my drugs and get a little Jesus. Like, I can live with my girlfriend, and God doesn't care, and I can pursue Jesus and worship him. Former things and new things, we'll just combine them together, and God will be like, ooh, I'm real pleased with that. It doesn't work that way. You're going to have to be willing to give up some former things in order to get the greater thing that God has for you. I'll give you some examples. We'll start with Brian. Had to give up corn. Had to give up cash. Had to give up being well thought of. Had to give up a lot of friends in order to get the new good thing that God had for his life. He had to walk away from one thing and walk towards something else. It wasn't enough to be like, sweet, God's got something new for me. I could drag all this stuff with me. Uh-uh. There was some baggage that had to be set down first. And then he could walk to the new thing. My life. But the Bible is not teaching this quid pro quo. This is something you're completely reading into the text. When God said start a church, I had to quit a good job and didn't know if I was going to get paid. It was freaking scary. Three kids. No paycheck. Scary. I had to give behind a good job, give up a good job. I had, to, I, had, I had to give up a lot of good friends to go do something new. I had to go to a new town. We had to leave. Uh, I'll go back to my, my example of the twins from earlier. I had to get out of the line. And I had to go in and walk to something new. I had to go to the seats that God had, that God had already designed for my life. God designed those seats for my life. But in order to get there, I had to get out of the line I was in. Same is true for you. It's not enough to be like, ooh, I want some Jesus. 
What don't you want anymore? Do you see the distinction? You can't just be like, want a little God without, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this former thing. I don't want to act this way. I don't want to be involved in this. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want this relationship. I don't, I don't want this anymore. And yet he's a liar. Why? Because every Christian sins daily and sins much. He's basically saying you have to earn God's favor here by your good intentions and your willingness to give things up. But if we were to look at Eric Dykstra's life, do you think we'd find sin there that he knows he should give up, but he hasn't? How about your life? I know it's true of mine. You don't get God's dream unless you're willing to leave behind some former things. Which leads me to two questions. First question I would ask is this. What do you need to walk away from in order to experience God's best for your life? Answer, the crossing church. If you go to this church, run. You're not hearing God's word rightly taught. You're hearing works righteousness from a man who does not understand how to read the Bible because he doesn't see Jesus in it. He sees you and me. You know, I can't even bear to listen to the rest of the sermon. It's just that bad. This is truly sad. Would you stop and pray for Eric Dykstra? Stop and pray for the folks at the Crossing Church and pray that God would open their eyes to the fact that the Scriptures don't teach a cosmic quid pro quo, but that this passage that he preached from is about Jesus, the one who blesses all nations through his vicarious death on the cross for all of our sins. Pray that God would open his eyes so that he stops reading himself into these texts and as a result of it, lead people to hell, including himself. So, so sad. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.